Hey everybody, my name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence Church and we've been talking and teaching about miracles and I almost missed one last week. I wanna tell you about it, I wanna tell you the story. Ty and Eli were up on the stage here at Providence Church for their baptisms and I got the privilege to baptize them. It was awesome. And these two guys, they're neighbors, they're buddies and it was so cool to hear them say yes to Jesus and for them to do it together. Their families were both, you know, jumbled up here on the stage together. And I moved from their baptisms over to the middle of the stage to preach my sermon. And I could feel something inside of me. I thought it was just emotion because it was such a great moment. But I think now God was trying to show me something and I just kind of pushed through it. And so when I finally got some quiet moments two days later, <laughs> I realized God was trying to say, Jacob, did you see the miracle? And I was like, what? And I just felt in my spirit, God say, Ty. And I remembered Ty. Ty is from Ethiopia. And his name was given to him by his birth family at birth. His name is Tamarat Yishak. Uh, T-Y, Tamarat Yishak. So they named him Ty. And so Ty was adopted from Ethiopia by Brian and Holly, who are here at Providence Church. And they kept his name. And the name Tamarat, they learned, means miracle. And Ty, because of our friendship, my wife and I's friendship with Brian and Holly, he's sort of grown up with us and grown up with our girls, especially my youngest daughter, Phoebe. They were born the same month. This is a picture of uh, Ty and Phoebe when Ty was sitting on one of uh, Phoebe's rocking horses. I guess she couldn't sit on both of them simultaneously, so she was upset. Uh, this next story uh, was a little bit later. Uh, so this next picture is a little bit later, and this is them uh, in the Barbie Jeep, Phoebe's Barbie Jeep. And the picture looks sweet. Their heads are together, but they were actually fighting over the steering wheel. And so this next picture was last Sunday at Ty's baptism, Phoebe and Ty. And we were walking away, Phoebe and I, from that picture. And Phoebe says, Dad, why do y'all always make me and Ty take pictures together? And I said, well, it's because your stories are written together. And so what I realized is God didn't want me to forget our miracle tie, even in the midst of a busy Sunday, even when I had a sermon to preach right after that. There he was, standing in front of all of us, a once orphaned baby who's now a treasured son, a part of our family, and with his baptism, a part of the great family of God, Tamarot, a miracle tie. We're studying the book of John, which is jam-packed with miracles. It's like miracle after miracle. But it's almost, it seems like as soon as the miracles happen, like the very next moments, the next conversations, it seems like the people who witnessed the miracle forget about the miracle. Or they don't quite see clearly what they were seeing clearly in the moment before. As miraculous as miracles can be, we have to go about our lives, don't we? You know, our lives are jam-packed with places to be and sermons to preach and disappointments and confusing moments and just generally stuff to take care of. And what I want to tell you uh, today is a hard spiritual truth, a difficult spiritual truth. And it's a truth that becomes clearer the more tired you get. <laughs> uh, and I'm telling it to you because when you see it, you can get a bunch more life out of life. So even though it's a difficult truth, I think it's worth it. And so if you're hearing my voice right now and you're a bit tired or have noticed being more tired than usual, or you would be ready to admit, man, I'm just completely burned out. Well, I want you to pay extra special close attention to what I want to share with you. If you're in the tired category, uh, and here's the spiritual truth, it's this. The people of God can get tired of miracles. 
and that is dangerous territory. So the people of God can get tired of miracles and that's a dangerous place to be. In John chapter 6, what we're going to look at, Jesus feeds 5,000, miracle. Jesus walks on water, another miracle. And then Jesus makes a claim. He says, I am the bread of life. And this bread of life claim, this I am statement, and the way Jesus just keeps on it, it becomes too much for the people. You know, Jesus says, I'm the bread from heaven. And they're like, we know your parents, Jesus. You didn't come from heaven. You're from Nazareth, man. We went to school together. But he won't stop. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread from heaven. I'm the living bread. And then he starts saying, well, I'll just tell you, he says, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He says it six times. He won't give up. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. It's so it's too much. You know, he's saying it in the synagogue, one of their sacred places, and they just they just can't hardly take it. And so here's what the what the scripture says in, in chapter six and verse 60. It says on hearing it, Jesus say these difficult things. Many disciples said this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? The next verse says, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Now, I want you to notice in this verse who was grumbling. It says his disciples were grumbling. His guys were, his followers. For the people close to Jesus, this was too much for them. So Jesus says, does this offend you? And I'll, I'll read on in the verses. Um, it, it says, then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? So he's like, you're having trouble with me saying some hard stuff? What if you see me start going up to heaven? Next verse says, the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet, verse 64, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray them. Verse uh, 64, it says, uh, he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And then check this out, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus turns to the 12 disciples. He says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we've come to believe and to know that you're the Holy One of God. Crazy, huh? Most, or at least many of the disciples in this moment, they turn around, go back home, and no longer follow Jesus. This passage of Scripture is called, Many Disciples Desert Jesus. What a great passage. Many disciples desert Jesus. They are 12 hours past watching Jesus walk on the lake. They are, they're one sundown past Jesus feeding 5,000 with five loaves of bread. And then they say, I'm checking out. I'm going somewhere else. I'm changing the channel. They just said, this is too much for us. You're too much for us, Jesus. And we have to wonder why, you know, when Jesus was offering them such, such good stuff and the miracles were so, you know, miraculous, why would they desert when Jesus has just served them the main course? He said, here I am. This is who I am. And now he's telling them all these good things that are to come. You know, why desert when you're about to get dessert? I worked on that line all week. I hope you like it. You know, why would they desert when Jesus is about to give them the good thing that comes from accepting them? Well, here's why. The teaching was so hard to receive. It didn't match what they wanted to hear. It was really hard. So I want to share with you some reasons that people desert Jesus, according to John chapter 6. Number one, the teaching is very difficult. Number two, it's offensive. And number three, some of us, some of them are just struggling to believe. 
And I think, you know, when a teaching, something you're being called to is very difficult and you've been offended, you know, maybe multiple times, you're struggling to believe, you really get tired. Remember I talked about the tired part? There's a special kind of tired that comes when you're like dealing with some hard stuff and you come to this place and say, I'm going home. It doesn't say the crowd went home, guys, all right? It doesn't say the crowd that was there went home. It says his disciples went home and no longer followed him. And I've seen a lot of Jesus followers and disciples who've walked through something really difficult the last couple of years. We all have. And we have been offended over and over. You know, we used to get offended every once in a while. You know, remember when getting offended was a special occasion? You'd be like, hey, I got offended today. Well, now, you know, getting offended is called Tuesday, right? Now we're offended every day. We get offended watching the news. We get offended about what that person reposted on Facebook. We get offended at our family gatherings and our belief wavers a little bit. And we're just so tired that we just start walking away from it all. We may not even notice we're walking away from Jesus because we're tired. But what this scripture is about is not being offended by life. It's, it's about being offended by Jesus' teaching, by the words of God. And a place I've noticed that recently is in our current cultural battle around abortion. You're hearing all about it in the news. I believe the teaching of the Bible is offensive to many in this current moment. So the scriptural belief is that God knits us together in our mother's womb that every child, every child is fearfully and wonderfully made by God. That before we were born, it talks about in Jer Jeremiah, that before he was born, he was set apart. That God's doing works before we were even born. There's this one story about two babies, Jesus and John in the womb, and they were known and they were named and they were communicating. And so the Christian has what can be heard as an offensive word as we cry out for the protection of unborn life. But Jesus also shows us, Jesus also shows us so much about the grace and forgiveness and protection given to women who find themselves in compromising situations created by power structures. So Jesus has a radical grace there over and over and over. So the Christian must also stand up on the side of helping women live into situations where they can keep their babies and take care of them and not be left alone in fearful and dangerous situations. It turns out that Jesus' grace is so wide and expansive so wide and expansive that our response to abortion has to be radical in our protection of unborn life and our denouncement of abortion. And it has to be radical in our care for women and children born into difficult situations. And it has to be radical to women and men who are grieving abortions. It's, it's so wide. Jesus' grace is so big. But us embracing that can be exhausting. And that's why we like boiled down talking points, easy religious outlooks, narrow news channels, rather than a harder teaching that requires a lot from us. I say all this not to play into a political battle, but to play into Jesus' grace-filled battle, which is against evil and death because he has come to bring life. But I get it, it can feel tiring. I want you to think about, in your own life, have you noticed that you've walked away a bit from Jesus because you're just tired of it all? Has the tired drawn you away from Jesus? Well, there's a different option. It's found right here in the story. Another response. It's another response to Jesus when the teaching is hard, when you feel offended by it, when you're tired. And it's going to sound, I promise you, at first it's going to sound like not the best reason to follow Jesus. You're going to ask, that's really an okay reason to follow Jesus? And it is. It is a great reason to follow Jesus. And here's the reason. The reason is this. Where else are you going to go? Many disciples, it said, left, but not the twelve. The twelve stayed. And Jesus said to them, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter says, where are we going to go? <laughs> where are we going to go, Jesus? One of the beautiful things 
about following Jesus is when you go so all in that you say, where else do I have to go? I've pushed all my chips to the middle of this table, Jesus. I've told everybody about you. I put my hope in you. I put my trust in you. I put my life in your hands. Where else do I have to go? Peter says, you have the words to life and we believe you're the Holy One of God. You think we're going somewhere else? Where do you think we're going? Peter did not say, we find your teachings easy, Jesus. Peter didn't say, we understand what you're saying about that eating your flesh part and the drinking the blood. No, he didn't say, we're not offended at all by you. He didn't say, we have perfect belief. He says, where else are we going to go? You're the one who holds life. We're betting all we have on you. You know, religion has a way of trying to make the teachings of Jesus easy to access, non-offensive and easy to believe. Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I want to say, like, why, Jesus? Why are you talking like that? You know, and and there's no evidence that Jesus was like, take a bite out of my arm or something like that. We know that he wasn't talking about a new kind of cannibalism. What was he doing? He's trying to rattle us to see how drastic and how desperate we must be for him, all of him and what only he can do and what only he can say. And the place we often turn away from Jesus is in the fatigue, the fatigue that comes from difficult offensive teaching and it causes our belief to waver a little bit and so we cower down in easy arguments where culture gives us our talking points instead of saying Jesus what do you say the best indicator for this if you want to know like am I in the zone am I in the danger zone of turning back on Jesus because it's a hard thing to know well here's the indicator from this story that we've come into the danger zone place here it is grumbling disciples people who know the grace of Jesus the mercy the joy, the miracles, and they sit around grumbling. You know, when the people of God are tired, they grumble, and continued grumbling leads to drifting. So what we're called to do is radical return. I just want to ask you, where else are you going to go? I know you're tired, and here's what Jesus says to tired people. Come to me. Come all the way to me. Come to me, all who are tired, and I will give you rest. As one of your pastors, I don't want to get tired of miracles. And I confessed to you last week, I moved on quickly from a miracle so I could preach my sermon. I do not want you to get tired of miracles. And I don't want our church to get tired of the miracles of Jesus. On Palm Sunday, in one of our services in person, we asked the church to pray for a little baby girl. Her name was Zadie. She was brought before the church for infant baptism, and we said we would pray for her, but specifically we said we'd pray for her on Thursday. Pastor Mark said she was having a surgery on Thursday and asked the congregation, will you pray for for Zadie? And everybody said, yes. On Thursday morning, that morning, the men of the church gathered in this room at 6.30 a.m., and we prayed for Zadie. We called out to God on her behalf, and Thursday did not go good. Her surgery did not go well. She was put on a breathing machine. She was put in the ICU for the weekend before Easter. You know, Good Friday? Well, Good Friday, Zadie was swollen and bruised and put in the ICU. She actually had her one-year-old birthday in the ICU. Her parents came and decorated. Easter morning, I was here at the church, and uh, Easter morning, Zadie woke up, and I got a text at 7.08 from her dad, Daniel, and it said, she's coming back. Easter morning, he said, she's coming back. And um, here's a picture of Zadie that day. She started breathing on her own. 
And so I come out of church last week, Mother's Day, and Daniel, the dad, Zadie's dad, and his two sons are sitting outside on the picnic tables out front, but no Zadie and no mom. And I was like, is Zadie here today? And he said, ah, she was here, but they had to go home. Uh, she had to change outfits and it's just a mess. And I was like, I get it. You know, I had little kids, but I kind of thought, well, why are you still here? You know, it's Mother's Day. What are you doing? And then I realized he was waiting to get the picture taken in the Mother's Day photo area that we had outside. But I was still thinking, why, you know, mom had to go all the way home, get Zadie changed. Why not, you know, why not just go home and call it a day? You know, why come back to church? And then their minivan pulled up and mom and Zadie got out and it hit me. I realized why they were back, because she's a miracle. And it's Mother's Day. God saved their little girl and they are not tired of the miracle. And where else are you going to go? So I ask you today. Well, where else are you going to go? Will you put your trust in Jesus with your tired, maybe offended, slightly offended heart right now and put everything on him and give everything to him? Where else are you going to go?